This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. We begin with breaking news in Richmond. Dramatic video of a serious crash involving the RCMP and now the Independent Investigation Office has stepped in. Our Paul Johnson joins us live near the scene. Paul, what have you learned? Colleen, this appears to be a mental health incident gone badly wrong. So we're told that a man who was not well enough to leave the hospital was trying to get out late this morning. The police were called in to deal with the situation and somehow this patient was able to get into the police car and steal it. A chase ensued and he ended up crashing into three other vehicles including an unmarked police car. One of those collisions seriously injured a woman. She was taken to the hospital and we're told she's expected to be okay. Now because Someone was injured in the course of a police action. The IIO team has been brought in. We were able to see them working here earlier. That's the provincial authority that investigates the police if someone has been hurt. This is meaning that this is going to be quite an investigation scene. It's still ongoing. And bottom line, this has created a traffic nightmare during rush hour right here in the middle of Richmond. So if you had any plans to be traveling through central Richmond and specifically at the corner of Gilbert and Blundell, I would plan to avoid this part of town. Just looking at these two incidents, and there's actually two separate crime scenes at this point. This is going to be going for a long time. So quite a bizarre scene this afternoon. Luckily, no one was killed. Colleen? Good point. Thanks for that, Paul. Now to the traffic chaos caused by climate change activists who shut down a number of bridges here in B.C., across the country and around the world today. Extinction Rebellion rallies impacting tens of thousands of commuters, including those who use the Burrard Street Bridge. Sarah McDonald has more on what demonstrators want and how the police response here was different than in other cities. An eerie silence on one side and a boisterous demonstration on the other. Climate crisis activists making themselves impossible to ignore in Vancouver, blocking vehicle traffic and forcing the total closure of this major artery. This is civil disobedience on a very minor scale. Adding their voices to a growing chorus of coordinated protests, demanding tangible action to combat climate change in major cities right across the globe. I think it will help to focus people's attention on the fact that we're facing a global crisis. What I find ironic, however, is holding the protest on a bridge, causing actually more exhaust to go into the atmosphere. A complete closure of this magnitude isn't something we typically see, and that's the point. Demonstrators are working to garner attention by inconveniencing countless commuters. But still, the city of Vancouver didn't think this warranted an on-camera response from officials. On an international scale, parallel protests sparked tense confrontations. 
and hundreds of arrests in Edmonton, Toronto and Halifax, London, Sydney and New York City, where this iconic symbol of capitalism was vandalized. Police in Vancouver taking a markedly different hands-off approach. Vancouver police um, do support anybody's right to protest, and this is a peaceful protest at this time. Emergency vehicles, pedestrians and cyclists given the green light to cross as uniformed officers maintained a heightened, unmistakable presence. When the scientists, you know, are, are making a stand and they're saying, you know, that we have limited time, I think that that's something we really need to pay attention to. Activists walking a delicate line between shining a spotlight on the irreversible impact of climate change and testing the tolerance of those it impacts. And it is almost a party-like atmosphere here mid-span on the Burrard Street Bridge. Nearly 12 hours after that protest first started, there is singing, there is dancing, there is chanting. Demonstrators are showing no sign of letting up and police are not showing any intention of moving in. Hmm. So, Sarah, would motorists be wise to avoid this route for the rest of the night? Colleen, that's right. Organizers tell us they plan to be here well into the evening, at least at this point. So commuters will absolutely want to avoid this bridge, but ideally the downtown core altogether for the remainder of the evening. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Justice! 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 Victoria is also seeing traffic delays and backups as protesters there shut down the Johnson Street Bridge. This protest, however, spared the morning commute. It began at around 3.30 this afternoon and is also expected to go till at least 7 o'clock. But still, it caused major delays coinciding with a lane closure on the Bay Street Bridge, leaving very few options to get in and out of downtown. A big announcement today in B.C. politics. The Green Party's Andrew Weaver announcing he will not seek re-election. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, this took everybody by surprise. It certainly did. I mean, it was an open question whether or not he was going to be seeking re-election anyways. I mean, I didn't think he was going to. Uh, he's been dropping clues along those lines. But we're two years out from the next election, so I didn't think any announcement was going to be imminent. But today, Andrew Weaver, big news conference, making it clear he's out as leader uh, probably by next summer. He's going to hang around until a replacement is chosen by his party. He offers some of the reasons why he's stepping aside. And also, we hear from a premier, John Horgan, who likes what he's seen from Andrew Weaver over the last couple of years. Stability is critical to me. It has always been critical to me. By giving advanced lead time, I know full well that a BC Green leader needs a full year to get a new leader, needs at least a year before the 2021 election to be known, to actually have the opportunity to share that new vision and to build upon the successes we've had. I mean, I, I got into this out of principle, and in my view, I should move aside uh, on principle as well. And that's something that's very important to me, the ethics and morals of how you actually govern in this place. I'm very proud to, to call Andrew my friend. I wouldn't have said that uh, five years ago without any doubt. Uh, but based on the work we've been able to accomplish together and the work we'll continue to do for the rest of this term, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that he's made the decision, but I absolutely understand it and respect it. So Weaver's looming departure won't affect the alliance between the Greens and the NDP in the House. They're still very much together. The Greens will continue to support the NDP on confidence votes. And as Weaver mentioned this morning, uh, he expects the new leader to be in place sometime next summer, but he'll still sit as an MLA. All Colin? right. Thanks for that, Keith. Vancouver lawyer Richard Peck has been appointed as special prosecutor for the investigation into now-resigned B.C. Cabinet Minister Ginny Sims. The B.C. Prosecution Service confirming that appointment today. 
On Friday, Sims resigned as Minister of Citizen Services as she's being investigated by the RCMP. There are allegations surrounding visa applications and for allegedly asking staff to use personal email accounts. The BC Prosecution Service confirms the investigation into criminal wrongdoing involves Sims and others. She denies any wrongdoing. I do not know what the allegations are in this instance, and it would be inappropriate for me to start speculating. I am looking forward to finding out as much as anyone else. With just two weeks to go until the federal election, history was made today. For the first time, six leaders assembled on one stage to take part in the English language debate, potentially their last chance to make a big impression on voters. Aaron MacArthur tallies the wins and losses. Arriving to equal part supporters and protesters, the leaders of six parties set to try to win the approval of Canadian voters. It took about a minute before the Conservative leader went after the Liberal leader's character. Mr. Trudeau, you are a phony and you are a fraud and you do not deserve to govern this country. A good chunk of the debate was centered around the issue of leadership and who would best represent Canadians from all economic backgrounds. You're offering a $50,000 tax break, which is more money than most Canadians earn, uh, to the wealthiest Canadians with your plan. Of course, we don't entirely know your plan because you haven't released your costed platform yet, which I think is a disrespect to every Canadian Where's your watching costed platform? Our costed platform Half came out of it two isn't weeks costed. Costed. What we have here is Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Scheer arguing about who's worse for Canada. Really, we should be, we gotta start arguing, we gotta, we gotta start presenting who's gonna be best for Canada. The issues on the table at the debate ranged from leadership to indigenous issues, immigration and affordability. Climate change and energy policy featured heavily across all facets. We must go off fossil fuels as quickly as possible. And you bought a pipeline. You can't be a climate leader and spend 10 to 13 billion dollars more on a project that by itself blows through our carbon budget. Okay, okay. We have you, to actually A slogan this. is not a plan. No, uh, I have, we have a plan. Will the debate change minds? Maybe not. Will it get voters engaged? That is the hope for the only English debate before October 21st. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The trial for Gabriel Klein began today. He's the man accused in the fatal stabbing of 13-year-old Letitia Reamer and the aggravated assault of her 14-year-old friend. The teens were randomly attacked in their Abbotsford High School in 2016. Grace Key was in court for day one and explains what we now know about the case Klein's defense is mounting. Gabrielle Klein entered not guilty pleas for second-degree murder and aggravated assault. Now, he's expected to raise a defense that he's not criminally responsible because of a mental disorder. Crown entered several items into evidence, including a six-second video a student took of the stabbing. Another video shows Klein entering a Cabela's outdoor store on the day of the stabbing. He's seen stealing a hunting knife. After the arrest, Klein didn't speak at all to anyone for about two to three days and on the night of November 4th he finally spoke and that was to a nurse and an officer. One witness is a Canada Border Services Agency officer. Now she testified that on October 3rd, 30th, U.S. officials picked Klein up at the Abbotsford Crossing for trying to illegally enter the U.S. 
The CBSA officer spoke to him for about 20 minutes. He said he was visiting farms, looking for work, and he got lost. And he had previously cleaned chicken coops. He said he had no money and was homeless and was, and was trying to get back to Vancouver. She did a check on him and no uh, red flags appeared. She offered to connect him with a local shelter, but he declined. He said he would go to a Tim Hortons to ask people there for money. Now, tomorrow, there'll be some witnesses from the Abbotsford Hospital as well as a local shelter who will be taking the stand. In New Westminster, Grace Key, Global News. In Vancouver Supreme Court today, DNA evidence was the focus of testimony at the trial for the man accused in the grisly murders of a Vancouver couple. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. Romina Dea was in court and a warning. The details of this story are disturbing. According to forensic DNA expert Lindsay Carter, Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam's DNA was on a knife, one of the alleged murder weapons. There's a 1 in 630 quintillion chance you'd find someone else with the same DNA match, said Carter. During the trial, several witnesses have testified they discovered a knife and hatchet outside the victim's home September 2017. Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones were found dead in the shower stall. Carter testified Cam's DNA was discovered under Ma Jones's fingernails, and Ma Jones's blood was found on the inside hinge of Cam's eyeglasses. Those who knew Ma Jones say she was small, but she was strong, and she would have fought for her life. Crown's theory, the accused bought a hatchet, gardening gloves, and baseball hat at Canadian Tire with the intent to kill someone, but he didn't know the victims. Defense is expected to cross-examine the DNA expert on Tuesday. Romina Dea, Global News. A Lower Mainland music teacher is now facing charges after an investigation into alleged sexual offenses involving minors. 22-year-old Lamar Victor Alviar, who operates La Music Studio in North Vancouver, is facing several charges, including possession of child pornography and sexual assault. The original allegations were reported to have happened in Coquitlam. Alviar was due in court today. Prior to these charges, he had no significant history with police. It's hoped classes will resume on Wednesday at Emily Carr University as police investigate what may be a case of arson over the weekend. The break-in and fire closed the campus early Saturday morning. Flames broke out on the fourth floor of the building, and while fire crews were first to arrive, police were called a short time later. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Our arson investigators with the major crime section are looking into all uh, matters pertaining to this incident and we're requesting anybody who might have information or maybe a witness to this crime to contact our major crime investigators. More tonight on a raid executed at a Surrey farm where the BCSPCA believes cockfighting was happening. Catherine Urquhart has more on the possibility of charges and how the recent expanded criminal code is helping in such investigations. It was early Saturday morning when a team of SPCA peace officers raided this rural property in Surrey. Now the SPCA confirming they have seized evidence indicating it may be the scene of a cockfighting ring. 
We did, however, remove evidence, uh, which currently our investigators are reviewing to determine if there's sufficient evidence to support a recommendation of charges. Cockfighting is a brutal blood sport in which roosters fight each other to death. It's illegal in Canada, and in 2008, five BC men faced animal cruelty charges after the SPCA raided a Cloverdale property. These blades are sharp, are razor sharp, and have a tendency to slash and stab at the other birds. Now there are newly expanded sections of the criminal code that target animal fighting, and anyone involved potentially faces charges and up to five years in jail. What's now illegal is basically anything to do with this activity. So promoting, taking money from, uh, raising birds, training birds. And this expanded definition really helps in these types of investigations. Cockfighting is often live-streamed and linked to gambling. Surrey RCMP stating... If members of the public have information to provide with respect to any associated criminal activity, we encourage them to contact the Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. You'd like to hope that animal fighting is a very small uh, issue in BC, but because of the underground nature of it, I don't think I can say with any confidence whether this is an isolated incident or part of a larger um, scheme. At Saturday's raid, officers did not seize any birds, but that could happen if the evidence processed leads to charges. Katherine Urquhart, Global News. You wouldn't think a community autumn festival would be controversial, but tonight there's backlash over the annual Rosedale Harvest Festival that took place in Chilliwack this weekend. The problem stems from goodie bags handed out to children at the event. Ted Chernecki explains why the contents of those bags has many parents outraged. The Rosedale Harvest Festival near Chilliwack is a popular event geared to celebrate agriculture. And of course, there's a parade where participants toss candy into the waiting crowd. But this year, kids were surprised to find something else in their candy bag. They came in these little bags um, with this little fetus guy in there and some candy that is gone now, but... Um, a couple of cards in there with um, this medical information, if you would call it that. It was obviously with the candy being in the bag targeted at children. Suddenly, parents are tasked with answering some pretty uncomfortable questions from their kids. Many of those who received the plastic fetus were very young, in this mother's case, 10 years old. All the while, I'm battling this. Do I tell my daughter what abortion is? Do I explain to her pro-life, pro-choice? Or do I wait? I, I was really conflicted, to be honest. In reading the comments on the Harvest website, as you scroll down, the language heats up. Some parents seemingly livid that their kids were targeted with candy. Opinions are opinions, and they're, uh, there's a time and place, and the place is not to be putting that towards underage children. The Rosedale Harvest Festival did update its Facebook page claiming it had no idea someone was going to be passing out this information. And having said that, the statement also reads, we have confirmed that the parade participant passed out medically accurate plastic fetal models of human beings at 12 weeks gestation in the womb and were not inherently religious, political or anti-abortion in nature. Something that should never have been handed out to children, then there was no apology. There was no apology. There was no real explanation. They claim they had no idea, which I don't believe is true. And I don't know what they're going to do about it, to be honest. Several calls to organizers of the festival and the Chilliwack Pregnancy Care Center were not returned. Ted Chernecki, Global News.
Another major award for BC's Wiccan and Ishin. The annual Condé Nast Traveler Reader's Choice Awards have named it top resort in Canada for the second year in a row. More than 600,000 Condé Nast readers worldwide voted in the awards. And the Tofino Resort has won a number of awards from the publication. Some BC owners of Kia vehicles say they've been left stranded by the South Korean automaker after experiencing engine failure. The company has issued recalls for certain engines, but not all. With more, our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea joins us. Anne. Mm-hmm. So frustrating for these oh, car owners, can no you imagine? Kidding. Thanks, Colleen. As a result of engine complaints from the public, Transport Canada opened an investigation into Kia and Hyundai engine failures in September of 2018. Since then, a number of recall notices have been issued covering the majority of the complaints, but not everyone is covered by the recall, and those who aren't have been forced to pay thousands of dollars out of their own pocket. Right under here, this is the whole new engine there. A new engine that cost Kayla Switlishoff thousands of dollars. Back in February, while driving to Big White, her 2013 Kia Sportage suddenly lost power. And I heard a knocking under my engine, and my engine seized. Her vehicle towed to the Kelowna dealership, where she says she was told there was nothing wrong with her Kia. Kayla says miraculously her vehicle started, but months later in August, her engine seized again, this time along the Kootenai Pass. It ended up seizing with a couple cars behind me, and I was lucky enough to be able to pull over. Kayla says Kia Castleguard determined there was a hole in the engine block and the engine would need replacing. Her case eventually referred to Kia Canada, but Kayla says the automaker refused to help her, telling her the warranty had expired. Making matters worse, her vehicle was not under recall, even though thousands of 2013 Kia Sportages have been. Her repair bill, over $8,000. And I just feel like that's so unfair for Kia owners to know that like a company won't support you if something that's out of our control happens. It was a similar story for Cindy Nichols' family. Her husband was driving their 2013 Kia Sportage along a major highway in the Okanagan when the engine seized without warning. The panel lit up and it just died while he was in the middle of rush hour traffic on the highway. The Nichols were told their engine needed replacing even though it had just over 67,000 kilometres on the vehicle. And since their car was two months past its warranty and not under recall, they paid close to $5,000, slightly less due to the dealership applying to a goodwill fund on the couple's behalf. I will never have another Kia. Kia Canada told Consumer Matters any and all claims involving damage to a Kia vehicle are reviewed on a case-by-case basis. Both of these vehicles are 2.4-liter multi-port injection engine vehicles and as such are not part of the recall involving 2.4-liter and 2.0-liter gasoline direct injection engines as they are completely different engines. 2012 to 2016 Kia Sportage. But Merchant Law Group says the recall by the automaker doesn't go far enough. The firm has launched a Canada-wide class action. We're alleging that there was engine defects, that the engines that were installed in these vehicles were defective, and that was the cause of the dangerous situation. The class action is still waiting to be certified by the court, but for car owners like Kayla, it's a step in the right direction for a situation that's left her feeling left on the side of the road. And Transport Canada tells us if any car owner or driver experiences what they believe to be a safety issue with their vehicle, they are encouraged to report it to Transport Canada's Defect Complaints Department. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email information at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks so much, Anne.
Conservationists are sounding an alarm tonight, claiming far too many old-growth trees are being cut down on Vancouver Island. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they say the government is ignoring its own standards, which they say are inadequate in the first place. Last year, well, my organization witnessed the logging of some of the most beautiful old-growth forests we'd ever seen, uh, including near-record-sized trees in the Nement Valley. And so the Ancient Forest Alliance registered a complaint with BC's Forest Ministry, suspicious that BC Timber Sales, the government's own logging agency, wasn't complying with the Vancouver Island Land Use Plan. We understood that an investigation had commenced, um, and, and that was it, essentially. Even after the internal investigation wrapped up, no information was forthcoming. So the Alliance submitted a Freedom of Information request just over a year ago and waited. And now, just a few weeks ago, we've received uh, the, the results from that investigation. It revealed numerous instances of non-compliance, among them miscalculating targets for old growth protection. So all of this means that uh, too much old growth forest has been logged in the Nement Valley, even by the BC government's own standards. Also revealed the fact that BC timber sales have failed to comply for almost 18 years. BC's forest minister says he understands people's concern, but... In July, we announced a new policy, a big tree uh, policy, where trees, uh, old growth trees of a certain size and standard are in a registry and will be set aside from logging with a one hectare buffer zone around them. That registry includes just 54 old growth trees in the entire province. The rest, he says, will be harvested. Rather than the Ministry of Forests taking responsibility, they've also directed their own compliance and enforcement branch uh, to discontinue uh, their investigations into BC timber sales. They're failing our forests and our communities. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Riot police fanned out across Hong Kong as groups of protesters took to the streets. Demonstrators set up barriers and clashed with forces. Violence has racked the city after a mask ban took effect on Saturday. The emergency law aimed at quelling protests has had the opposite effect, causing widespread clashes. A journalist was hit by a Molotov cocktail during an anti-government rally. Yet another bombshell development tonight in the controversy over Donald Trump's conversation with the president of Ukraine that sparked an impeachment inquiry. The lawyer for the first whistleblower now says a second person has come forward backing the claims. President Trump tonight on offense. Concerned what the second whistleblower may reveal about your conference? Not at all. This is a scam by the Democrats to try and win an election that they're not going to win in 2020. Now, new fallout from the emergence of a second whistleblower. This one with firsthand knowledge of that controversial call in July between President Trump and the leader of Ukraine, according to the attorney for the first whistleblower. The person is also cooperating with the intelligence community inspector general and might be able to clarify lingering questions about the call, in which President Trump asked the Ukrainian leader to investigate a political rival, Joe Biden. The president's Republican allies, dismissive. All of the world knows more about this phone call than the second or the first whistleblower. Democrats disagree. You know, there aren't a whole lot of people uh, who are listening in on those conversations. And those people have finally said, this is crazy. This is enough. 
House Democrats are now considering having the original whistleblower testify privately at a remote location to protect the person's identity and perhaps masking his or her face or voice, according to The Washington Post, as the standoff with the Trump administration escalates. Democrats demanding documents from the Department of Defense and the Office of Management and Budget about military aid to Ukraine, a topic at the center of questions about a quid pro quo. Those two new subpoenas bringing the total to five against leaders in the Trump administration in a fight that shows no sign of slowing soon. In Health Matters tonight, a warning about a spike in a sexually transmitted disease in B.C. The Provincial Health Officer and the B.C. Centre for Disease Control says cases of syphilis were up 33% last year from the year before to the highest rate in three decades. The increase is mostly among gay men, but it's also up among women. Most dangerous, the disease can be transmitted from a pregnant woman to her unborn child. Syphilis is a bacterial infection that can be cured with antibiotics. Symptoms aren't always apparent and you can be infected repeatedly. Officials are urging people who may be at risk to get screened regularly. An ad for a major new mental health care initiative in the UK is making history with a set of narrators you'd be hard-pressed to top. The royal family's Fab Four. Everyone knows that feeling. When life gets on top of us, we think there's nothing to be done. Nothing we can do about it. Every Mind Matters will show you simple ways to look after your mental health. It'll get you started with a free online plan designed to help you deal with stress. The ad for the new mental health resource features the voices of, if you haven't figured it out, Prince William and Harry and their wives Kate and Meghan. It's the first time British royals have lent their voices to an advertisement. We want to say thank you so much to all of our viewers who donated to the fourth annual Variety Week. Because of your generosity, we were able to raise $682,239 for Variety, the children's charity, which means they'll be able to help 273 children. We also want to thank our nightly news hour sponsors, White Spot, RBC, Connect Hearing, Bilo Foods, and Accent Inns. Oh dear, the story behind this wild encounter at a hair salon. We're going to have that for you right after Christy's forecast. And Christy, I mentioned earlier that you've been talking about snow today. Yes, and it's not just for the mountain passes this time. Few parts in the province will see it even over lower terrain. This is the scene out there right now, though, Colleen. Beautiful to see that little bit of blue sky there because it was a soaker to start with today. Now, We've got a great week ahead, but a cold front is swinging down. Temperatures are going to plummet. This is a scene in Lone Butte today, and they have snow right now in the Clinton area as well. Temperatures overnight are going to drop down below the freezing mark. And that extends to just north of Kamloops. So if you're in the Clinton area, as an example, Cache Creek, you'll likely see temperatures below the freezing mark. Whistler dropping down to two, so they may see a little bit of wet snow. So it's because of this system here...
track to the south and continue to drop the temperatures as it continues to track to the south. But it's these areas in the Caribou, likely into areas like Clinton, over towards the uh, Columbia region that have the potential of seeing snow over lower terrain and down into Whistler also, maybe just north of uh, Merritt as well. So into tomorrow morning, it will be likely these areas that could see a little bit of snow in through the morning hours. And we're only talking about zero to maybe four centimeters, but over higher terrain, the mountain passes, including these areas further south. So the Coquihalla, the connector and Highway 3, we will see significant snow. A reminder, this is a really great resource for you. Our global sky tracker app, it's free and you can pinpoint your exact location. And if you're traveling, it can actually follow your location and give you up to date uh, forecasts for your area. Here's the forecast for the mountain highways, all areas five to 10 centimeters of snow. that's mainly over the highest uh, terrain, but still more uh, lower elevation areas down to about 800 meters still could see that. So that's tonight through tomorrow afternoon. So cold and clear across the north. Everything is cleared out of these regions. It's these areas that have the potential of some snow, Kamloops over towards Revelstoke, and then just touching down into Whistler as well. A chance of showers in a few areas tomorrow, but otherwise a mix of sun and clouds. So tomorrow, a bit of a transition day, and then cold and clear from there on in will certainly feel the chill in the air at night as some areas will see a drop down to about two degrees. Beautiful shot from Prince George. This was just from yesterday. Spectacular. Thanks, Christy. We've seen a lot of wildlife crashing into buildings videos, but not many like this one. A quiet afternoon at a Long Island hair salon was shattered, quite literally. Keep your eyes on the top right of your screen. Oh my goodness, after narrowly missing a woman sitting on a couch, the panicked deer proceeds to crash through the salon, leaving a trail of destruction in its wake. It finally runs out with a hair-straightening iron dangling from its antlers and crashing through the door. One woman suffered injuries to her head and leg, but they're not believed to be serious. The deer was gone by the time police arrived. Oh, that would have been scary. Not sure what police would have done about the situation anyway. (laughs) Scary for the poor deer, too. Oh, everyone was scared on that one. Everyone. So what really happened was his friend said, look, we could really use a hair straightener. Which one of you was going to bust in? You You, go get it. You do do the break and enter and run out. They won't even stop you. They won't even know. Yeah. They can't throw you in jail. I mean, look what you are. They want to straighten the rantiers, maybe. They ran out with a straightener. Oh, my God. All right, Squires, here, uh, Canucks planning a big night? Oh, yes, they put out the itinerary. They have an itinerary Whoa. for uh, Wednesday, the Special. opening game. Yes, well, it's season 50, of course, so right. you should always have an itinerary for season 50. <laughs> they, uh, they have carefully planned out opening night on Wednesday against the LA Kings, October 9th, just like the first ever game they ever had in the NHL in 1970, Kings and Canucks. Among the things you can do that night is see the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year that Elias Pettersson won. In fact, I think if I've read this itinerary correctly, you can take your picture with the trophy, and they also have a cardboard cutout of Pettersson. Oh, how about that? Uh, Of course, the big event will be the ceremony where the new captain is unveiled, (laughs) Bo Horvat, which apparently is still a secret. This goal at the end of a 3-2 loss to Washington on February 5th. Why am I showing you this? This is the last time Elias Pettersson scored a goal that wasn't a power play goal. And since the Canucks had pulled its goalie, it really wasn't 5-on-5. But that was 30 games ago. After this, he has only scored four power play goals. 30 games ago. That's surprising. Since then, nothing resembling an even-strength goal. 
I'm sure he will end that drought soon, but it goes to show you how much of a wall Pedersen hit in the final two and a half to three months of last season. Now, he said that goal was six on five because the Canucks had pulled the goalie. The last time he scored a pure five on five goal with the goalie in was January 20th against Detroit. All right. Blues, Stanley Cup champs, Leafs, who desperately want to be the Stanley Cup champs. This is Oscar Sundquist, and this is the first goal of the game, 1-0 in the second period. Now it's 1-1, and this is some nice passing by the Maple Leafs. It ends up with William Nylander scoring, beating Jordan Bennington. That would make it 2-1. But the Leafs got no more goals after that one. Braden Shen, who just got a new contract for $6.5 million per year, Scores that one. That made it 2-2. Blues would win it by the score of 3-2. So the Vancouver Whitecaps are now in their offseason trying to fill holes for next year and also trying to fill seats as well. By the time this past season ended, the Southsiders Supporters Club might have been outnumbered by the Empty Chairs Club. That's why this offseason is the most important ever for the Whitecaps. They cannot afford to make fans even more apathetic. They have to conjure up some sort of hope before next season begins. What you have to understand is after a year like that, just imagine the work and the commitment that is happening right now in the back scenes. Just imagine. Don't think that we're, uh, let's see you next year. Thank you, fans. No. It's hard to imagine what next year will look like for the Vancouver Whitecaps. This after a dismal 2019 campaign that'll officially go down as the second worst MLS season in franchise history. Only expansion Cincinnati had a poorer year. The Caps scored the fewest amount of goals in the West, posted the fewest wins with eight, and finished the year with a staggering minus 22 goal differential. Yeah, I mean, we all know statistically how the season went, but if you dig deeper and you look deeper, this was a season filled with ups and downs. But we're building something here, and this was always a rebuild year, and we're going to continue to grow, and that's the message with this team. June, July killed us, and after that, it got a little bit better, and uh, the last last games were were actually good, if you see the last four. Um, but it, it was a season with, filled with ups and downs. Definitely agree. You can count the number of ups on one hand. We need all the off-season to run through the downs. The Caps completely rebuilt the roster, admittedly making too many changes last year, which left the club desperately lacking proven MLS talent, and it showed this year. This is a side that's desperately seeking an identity, but what is it? And moving forward, who's putting all the pieces together, seeing how the Whitecaps still haven't hired a sporting director? No, the, the commitment and the work and the pieces that are happening in the back scene, the thought process, the moves, is huge right now. Huge, huge. Uh, what I want to make sure that we focus as the club is on making the team better. Whatever it takes to make the team better, regardless. All right, Monday Night Football, Carl Yusick, Matt Breida. Now Yusick will block for Breida, and he will go 83 yards for a major. On the very first play, San Francisco ran. Well, that's not very good, Cleveland. 
and it's 21 to three late in the second quarter. Remember when everybody thought the uh, Browns gonna have a big year this year? Hmm. Uh, Houston, Tampa Bay, playoff baseball. Brandon Lau, solo home run. And then Austin Meadows over George Springer's head. This is gonna score two. And the Tampa Bay Rays fight or live to fight another day. There'll be a game four in this series. By the way, St. Louis beat Atlanta 5-4. Game five of that series, a decider, will be Wednesday in Atlanta. There you Alrighty. go. It is the amazing story of survival that everybody's been talking about. A Florida animal rescue team using the latest technology to look for pets in the rubble of Hurricane Dorian finds a miracle. Have a look. Is that good? It's a miracle in every sense of the word. This puppy alive and defying the odds, believed to be buried in debris for more than three weeks on Great Abaco, the hardest hit of the Bahamian Islands after Hurricane Dorian flattened the area. Seeing this poor little darling dog just trapped underneath there and thinking about how hard he fought to stay alive. He's now known fittingly as Miracle. Pinned under an air conditioning unit, rescue teams believe Miracle survived on rainwater. Miracle was discovered by a drone equipped with infrared heat-seeking technology that detected the struggling dog under the rubble. Miracle's rescue now a symbol of survival, offering a glimmer of hope as massive recovery efforts in the Bahamas are only just beginning. Miracle, you're going to be okay, baby. Miracle isn't simply a survivor. He's a fighter, now serving as a beacon of light in times of darkness. It's hope for the people that have been through so much over there, knowing that miracles do happen. Miracles now eating about a little bit of food every two hours, but the really big news, he took his first steps today. Look at that, he even has a little bit of energy to roll over here. Kerry Sanders, NBC News, Loxahatchee Groves, Florida. Oh, happy story. That's nice. Mm -hmm. um, happy story for the weather forecast, too. Yes, yeah, so lots of sunshine this week. You just need to bundle up, especially if you're out early in the morning, because it is going to be chilly. So not tonight, but starting tomorrow night. So tonight, dropping down to 6 degrees, but Tuesday night into Wednesday night, that's when you'll start to feel the real chill. Two degrees? I don't have my winter tires on yet. Uh, yes, it's a time to start thinking about that. That's for sure. I don't sure. have my winter coat on yet. Never mind my tires. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Join J&N tonight at 11. Take care.